You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. Spoiler alert. No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. High Flying Bird, which came out in 2019, was directed by Steven Soderbergh. It stars Andre Holland, Zazie Beetz, Melvin Gregg, Sonia Sohn, Zachary Quinto, Justin Hurt Dunkley, Gerald Prescott, Kyle McLaughlin, and Bill Duke. The genre would be sports drama. You want to get back on the court? And as your agent, I want to get you there. But we are in a lockout. There are no actual games to watch. You think these fools, these rich white dudes, gonna let these sexiest sport fall by the wayside? This team's my family. I need us to be one big family again. Football is fun, but it don't sell sneakers. To move merch and inspire rap lyrics, they need your services. More the control of a game that we played, we played better. They invented a game on top of a game. I can see a whole infrastructure that put the control back in the hands of those behind the ball. What you gonna do? But I'm about to pull up a chair. Now, I don't pretend to completely understand the intricacies of the NBA, which helped drive the narrative of this film, but I still find this to be one hell of a rewatch. Andre Holland just kills it as Ray Burke, a talent agent for the NBA trying to protect both his rookie client and his own self-interest amidst an ongoing lockout imposed by the owners. Look, all I'm saying is I was serious about the game then, and I'm serious about the game hey, now. Hey, E, E, this didn't mess up your chances with the team. The contract is only pending because of the lockout. Now, as soon as the owners and the PA come to an agreement, your check will move from escrow to your account. Now they think I'm trying to pimp pick up games, right? <sighs> Come on, E. Did you, did you just hear me, man? Huh? You are not currently legally bound to them. You are in the sweet spot. Now, you have a chance, sir, to do what has never been done before. We are disruptors, you, me, and Umber. So you just want to rep him, too? Why do you think so small? He talks fast, he thinks fast, he acts fast, yet he comes off as surprisingly meditative when waxing on about the sport of basketball. And it's all inside baseball, or basketball stuff, and there's very little actual courtside basketball shown in this movie. But there's no shortage of banter and monologues and side-eye negotiations to keep the story moving briskly, thanks to a cleverly, tightly structured screenplay by Terrell McCraney, whose previous credit was Moonlight, which he won an Oscar for. And, of course, iPhone filming shenanigans from Mr. Steven Soderbergh. Yep, the scope of the shots are limited, but not how well they are placed relevant to every conversation of note. Everyone involved just seems to bring both their A-games and to be having fun, from Bill Duke drolly lifting up every scene that he's in as a grizzled high school coach. There's a reason why the NBA started integrating. As the Harlem Globetrotters exhibition started going international, control. They wanted the control of a game that we played, we played better. They invented a game on top of a game. To Zazie Beetz playing Holland's former assistant, who's aggressively pursuing her ambitions to move up the ladder. 
but in the classiest manner possible. Yeah, well, because the problem is we've run out of story. Story? What's the story here? You remember that Paul Megan thing? When he was caught publicly punishing his daughter and then everybody thought he was done? But then you leaked that video of him crying at his daughter's recital and that changed everything and that became the story? To Colin McLaughlin slithering about as a shifty but self-aware owner, to the irreplaceable Sonia Sohn, formerly of The Wire, playing Myra, the exasperated head of the NBA Players Association, who always suspects that she might be getting played by Ray, but just can't keep herself from liking him regardless. That's what I've been telling you. If you knew they were coming, and you knew they might play, Eric has an NBA contract he signed. The contract was already in play. You know that little message they play at the beginning of every basketball game on TV? Any use of this telecast or any pictures, descriptions, or accounts of the game without the express consent? Exactly. That could have been considered an NBA event if you got NBA players there and they were recorded. The final 20 or so minutes of this roughly 90-minute movie get as absurdly twisty as one of Soderbergh's Ocean's Eleven movies, but it's all presented clearly and based on character. High Flying Bird proves once again that Soderbergh can pull off any genre while still leaving his stamp on it, and that Andre Holland needs to get more juicy material like this film. Man, you didn't feel it when you snatched that ball out of Jamero's hand. When he thought he had you crossed up and you picked his pockets, you didn't feel it. Man, the whole world stopped. Those two kids that were watching, they haven't stopped dancing and, and, and selfieing since. You didn't see it. Man, when a million faces that would normally record the game and fast forward to the good parts, when they had to hear about it at the water cooler, man, I knew right then that we had their ass. We had something that they can't bottle up. Which brings us to the categories. The first category would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. Now, the soundtrack for this movie is pretty spare, but one artist certainly stands out, and that would be the late great singer-songwriter, Brooklyn's own Richie Havens, who actually performs the folk blues song which inspired the title of this movie, and which we hear at the very beginning of the movie. That would be High Flying Bird. There's a high-flying bird Flying way up in the sky And I wonder if she looks down As she goes on by Havens just had a great voice and was especially good at performing rhythmic guitar for most of his songs. He had a long, lustrous career spanning more than 40 years and releasing more than 20 studio albums before passing away in 2013. Early in his career, Havens started making a name for himself as the opening act for the original Woodstock Music Festival in 1969. Just one man sitting on the stage alone with a guitar tapping his feet, no less. And he brought down that crowd with an anti-war ditty, which we also hear reprised at the very end of this movie. The song opens as we see Zazie Beetz's Sam kicking back with NBA rookie Eric Scott. They're kind of an item now. At his apartment, as they both start to peruse this book that Holland's Ray had been telling them to read. The guitar starts to really pick up as we see their amazement reading this book. And then end credits where we hear the remainder of the song. It's a truly spirited way to end the movie. The song is Richie Haven's 1970 hit, Handsome Johnny. Hey, look yonder, tell me what's that you see? Marching to the fields of Gettysburg. Looks like Handsome Johnny with a flintlock in his hand. Marching to the Gettysburg War. 
They marching to the Gettysburg Wall And it's a long, hard road It's a long, hard road It's a long, hard road Baby, farm will be free The next category would be Wasted Talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. This was a pretty spare production all around, so it's genuinely difficult to spot any resources or any talent involved which were actually underutilized. I mean, that said, I have to give a special shout out to my man Soderbergh. He not only directed this shindig, but he also served as the cinematographer and the editor. Just amazing what you could do with an iPhone, I guess. And this brings us to the next category, the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. Roughly about an hour into the movie, we probably have the one scene which comes closest to showing us actual basketball action. As Ray takes his client Eric to a special charity hoops event run by his former high school coach Spence, Jiroli played by Bill Duke. Eric shows up late, even though he is the premier attraction to speak to the kid players at this gymnasium. He starts signing autographs. He starts gabbing with the kids about his college experience. When suddenly, who should show up but possibly Eric's chief rival, a fellow recent draftee of the same NBA team who also plays the same position. That would be Jamero Umber, along with his mother. And they come all the way from Philly, no less, which is strange. Jamero and Eric, there's some lingering tension there. The kids are drawn to Jamero. Eric walks up to him, and a big crowd of kids gathers around them as they start to trade quips. And what starts out as a verbal showdown escalates to a physical one as the kids around them goad them into facing off one-on-one shooting hoops. Come on, man. Give him the rock. I don't want to do that. This is the matchup everyone's been dying to see. It's a fun scene, which also cuts away just as the basketball action starts to kick in. Because we then see how it becomes a viral moment, with videos posted online from several people there who filmed it. So much so that after the views rapidly climb for this face-off online, buzz starts to build that other locked-out NBA players will soon be doing this. With platforms like YouTube and Facebook all ready to dish out money for the rights to show these face-offs thus leading into Ray's big idea for a new revenue stream for NBA players to perform outside of league play. And the kicker? We find out a couple of scenes later via a press conference that it was Ray himself who actually orchestrated this meeting to achieve just such a viral moment. He had invited the Umber family out to this event unbeknownst to his client, Eric. It was sneaky but effective. And this sequence ends up being the pivot point for the rest of the movie. And that brings me to the final category, which would be the MVP. This is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. This movie came out four years ago, straight to Netflix, back when that kind of thing was still a novelty for a big-time director like Soderbergh. And most of the hype then, and even since then, has been the wonderment as to how this was all shot on an iPhone. It really does look better than you would expect given those circumstances. But the fact remains that no matter how good this movie looks or even how well-written it was, what truly carries this movie is the central lead performance by Andre Holland. Over the past 16 years, Holland has been carving out a solid career as a reliable character actor on both the big and small screen. Strong movies like Moonlight, Selma and Sugar, quality TV streaming shows like The Nick, 
where he kind of had his breakout role under showrunner Soderbergh, no less. Holland has always brought an intelligence and swagger to every role, but I still say that here in this movie, he is a true revelation. No doubt playing a scheming sports agent is kind of a dream part for most actors, and he just runs with it. And with some dense dialogue, no doubt. I mean, over the last half of this movie... He's basically laying out an innovative new avenue for sports entertainment, which initially sounds pretty far-fetched. And damn, when you know it, by the end of this movie, I knew I was sold. It's a multi-level performance where he's basically convincing himself, others around him on screen, and the audience of three different things at once. Just great stuff. And I hope that he eventually gets more opportunities like this. Andre Holland is the MVP. Eric, it ain't about the money, man. We're talking about money because that's what makes them listen and pay attention. But this makes you the decider, brother. The game that they made over the game is over. It's your game now if you want it. Oh, come on, Southside. We don't need the league, man. We don't need the Players Association. Let them battle that shit out over network rights and splits for the next few months while you, me, and a few others, we wreck shop. Paid event by event like box. But without the brain damage. My rating for High Flying Bird would be four and a half stars out of five. <laughs> Bottom line, whether you consider yourself a true basketball fan or not, this movie is a strong recommend. Come for the inside basketball content, but stay for the sharply written characters. And if you're looking to watch High Flying Bird, it is currently streaming on Netflix. And that ends another Ballin' Review. Special shout out to my lovely wife, Marlene Gershon, for producing this podcast and to my lovely daughter, Ella Gershon, for assisting in the editing. Please like, subscribe and share the Living for the Cinema podcast and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Birmingham looks like handsome Johnny with his hand rolled in a fist marching to the Birmingham war hey, marching to the Birmingham war hey what's the use of singing this song some of you are not even listening tell me what it is we've got to do wait for our fields Start listening Hey, wait for the bullets to start a whistling Hey, here comes a hydrogen bomb And here comes a guided missile Here comes a hydrogen bomb I can almost hear its whistle I can almost hear its whistle Hey, yeah, 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 yeah Yeah, 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 yeah